I would invite you to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Um, we're going to complete, finish the passage that was started for us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans, having uh, has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus, and then and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. But on be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposes our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through the proclamation might be fulfilled, uh, might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I have I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me. Rescue me from every evil deed and I will bring he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Melantus. Make every effort to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you. Also, Pudin and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, our hearts being lifted up to you already. May we worship you today uh, in response to this word that we're about to unpack. Lord, thank you for your precious word. May we be clear, may we have understanding, and may we apply these things to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These are the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul that we have. And I wanted to, to just briefly overview this passage, of second, the end of 2 uh, Timothy. Because this passage is a good follow-up to First Peter, the passage that uh, that we have been going through. This uh, the First Peter uh, letter to Peter to the churches of Asia Minor. This is a good example of what Peter was talking about of um, the Lord strengthening in persecution. Paul himself saw himself as uh, a, a a picture, a, a life that's being poured out, a sacrifice. If you look over chapter 4, verse 6, he, he explains, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand, has come. Has come. And when that picture 
is being poured out, when that last drip is dripped, when it's gone, then Paul is taken out to heaven. That's the idea here. This is Paul's last will and testament, and he is writing to Timothy, and he's wanting to see Timothy. He's longing to see Timothy. And this is somewhat, the theologians call this a last will and testament, if you will, of Paul. How did Paul get to this point? We need to do some background work. I want you to understand this passage because it's rich with meaning. And it helps us to see that these are just real people. Like we saw last week with, with Peter addressing real people in the churches of Asia Minor. Peter, Paul here is addressing real people in real circumstances. Now there's three things that marked Paul's uh, ministry. And he knew these early on. And I want you to see these back in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, when Paul was first converted, um, the the Lord talked to Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go and talk to Paul. And and Ananias said, no, Lord, I, I know this man. He's trying to infiltrate the church and he means his harm. And the Lord says, no, I want you to go. And in verse 15, he says this, the Lord said to To him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Now, this is talking about Paul. A chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings, the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, there's three things that marked Paul's uh, ministry. Number one, he was a chosen instrument of the Lord. That marked Paul's, we, we see that. We look back and we see that. He also bore the name of Christ to the Gentiles. He was sent out to the Gentiles. He also ministered to the Jews, but primarily focused on the Gentile, moving the, the gospel into the Gentile nation. Now, even doing that, he also was going to present himself before kings. The, the, the hierarchy of the Gentile world. And that's exactly what is happening. And the third element of Paul's ministry is that he would suffer. I will show him how much he will suffer for my namesake. And suffer Paul did. He, he was a, a, a traveling missionary, if you will. He was an evangelist and he would go into churches, go into cities, speak to the churches there in um uh, all the in different churches or different synagogues, he would start there with the Jewish people and he would go and speak to them. And then he would uh, most of the time be kicked out of those uh, services, kicked out of the town. He was beaten many times. He was an evangelist, but he was also a church planter. He was run out of town many times and he was left for dead. He was a he was shipwrecked. But he was a minister of the gospel. And he was an apostle to the church. Laying down the foundation of the church, uh, of the, the teaching of the church to the people of the church. He was educated in the Old Testament. And he was the epitome of one who loved the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. He was not a, a pastor, per se. But he did develop pastors. In fact, he would be a a walking seminary today. 
Paul's whole life was driven by the cause of Christ. He was single-mindedly devoted to the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His mission was the, the kingdom of God and to expand that kingdom. And the cause of Christ was much bigger than he was, and he knew it. That's what's interesting. He recognized that he was just the mouthpiece. And his goal was to present the gospel to even the king, even the emperor. And he starts, this, this whole process started in Philippi. And I, I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 16, because that's, that's where everything started. He, uh, he was ministering. He goes into Philippi. Uh, you know the story well. He uh, presents the gospel. Some people respond to that gospel. The, the Jewish leaders were not happy with him. And he gets uh, uh, beaten and put into prison. And he, along with Silas, were beaten. And that night they were praising the Lord, singing praises to the Lord. And there was an earthquake that came. The Philippian jailer rushes in uh, to see if anybody had escaped. And Paul says, no. And the, rush, the uh, Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And the Paul was able to lead him to the Lord. And he ministered to Paul. That next morning, though, the uh, chief magistrate says, go ahead and release those men and, and set them free. But Paul would have none of it. And I want you to, I want to read for you chapter 16, verse 37. But Paul said this to them. He says, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans. That's pretty significant. And when they, and have thrown us into prison, and now they sent, are, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these things, these words to the chief, chief magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. They knew that they had been caught. They knew that they had, were in the wrong. Paul was a citizen of Rome and he was not to be beaten, especially in a public manner that he was, was beaten and they were scared. And so Paul had his opportunity. And Paul took that opportunity to appeal. He had the, he could go through the appeal process. It takes a long time, but he gets two opportunities to present himself to the pro-council or to the, the, um, uh, tribunal. And he has two hearings. And he knew he would have the opportunity to present the gospel, and that's exactly what he wanted to do. And Nero, from time to time, would set in on these hearings. Especially, this is a high-profile case, and, and Paul was pretty well known in the Roman community, and so he is going to be, uh, this is going to be something that Nero might sit in on, and Paul has the opportunity then to present the gospel. He's already had his first hearing, and now he's awaiting his second hearing. But things don't look good for him. In fact, things look very bad. He's in prison his first prison imprisonment was just house arrest. He can kind of come and go as he please. He would have be able to have guests. He would even be able to travel a little bit. But his second imprisonment, he was in chains. It says earlier in first in first uh, Timothy or second Timothy, he was in prison, probably in a dungeon. It would be dark. He would be in chain, chained to a, 
a guard or, or maybe uh, in a, a crowded prison, they would all have been chained somewhat together. It would have been a dungeon. And winter is coming. And he knew that his life was coming to an end. You could just see the handwriting on the wall. And, and you get that in the, the letter. And he wants to see Timothy. Now, Timothy was his uh, most de- beloved disciple. And you see, if you go back to Second Timothy, in verse 1, Paul says, An apostle of Jesus Christ, he said, To Timothy, my beloved son, spiritual son in the faith. And he mentored Timothy. And he says, I thank God for you. For your service. And verse 4 he says. Longing to see you. He, he had a love for Timothy. Timothy was the disciple that he wanted to see at this time. And Paul. Let's pull back a, a little bit more of the curtain. And we see. How did again. How did Paul get to this point. A couple years earlier. Persecution broke out. Two years earlier, in nineteen or in in uh, A.D. sixty-four, Nero he ordered Rome to be burnt. He wanted to rebuild, and he couldn't rebuild because the he just didn't have enough space. So he wanted to burn it all, and and uh, he he started burning Rome, and Rome burned for six days. This is the capital city. Uh, it would be unthinkable for the emperor to do this, but he was. He was not in his right mind, I believe. And the Christians were easy targets because they, um, they were suspect with the Roman people anyway. I and mean, they wouldn't worship the Roman gods. They were not loyal to the Roman gods. Their loyalty to Rome was in question. They worshiped this Jesus. And they had different standards. So let's just blame the burning of Rome on the Jews. Or I'm sorry, on the Christians. And this is the... Persecution, the Nero persecution that Fox's Book of Martyr reminds us of or talks to uh, us about. And, and it says some of the Christians were sewn into uh, animal skins, freshly killed animals. They would really turn them inside out, put these Christians in there, sew them in, in these animal skins and then put them into the arena. And the wild dogs would come and just tear their tear them apart. Some of them were coated with pitch and lit on fire to uh, light Nero's garden parties. He was not a good man. This was a a terrible persecution that was spreading on the the church. And Paul was right in the heart of this. This is the very persecution that Peter warned about. He warned in 1 Peter, he warned the churches as Asia Minor that, that it's coming and they need to prepare themselves. And here Paul is, he is, like I said, right in the midst of this, getting ready, possibly, to stand before Caesar himself. But Paul believed in the power of the gospel. He believed in the power of the gospel. And he had his chance. He had his chance to present the gospel to the very heart of the Roman nation. What you see in this passage really is the, is the climax of, of Paul's ministry, Paul's life coming, coming to an end, but the gospel having the opportunity to be presented to the highest person in the land. And Paul being a, a willing sacrifice to make sure that that happened. This individual, one man, 
was willing to lay down his life for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of Christ. Another thing that you'll see in this passage in uh, chapter 4 is you'll see 18 different names. And I took the time to try to learn these names and do some investigation about these names. 18 different people here. Two of them are in opposition to Paul, but what you see in this passage is a network of people. Uh, people that have varying degrees of, of level of, of uh, skill and ability and interest and uh, support for Paul, and they're kind of scattered all over the place. They're playing different roles within the church, the church at large. But what you also see is that they all have the same goal in mind, and that's the expansion of the gospel. And Paul is just the, the mouthpiece of that, and they are supporting Paul. They're behind the scenes, but they're supporting Paul in this. And this passage then is just a snapshot. Of, of the expansion of the gospel, just kind of frozen in time for us, that we can go back and we can analyze this and look at this, not to necessarily try to reproduce this, but we can learn from these things. Because these are ordinary people. They're just like me and you. Just like us. Ordinary people. But they were just trying. They're just trying. They're trying to expand the gospel. They're ordinary people trying to expand the gospel, but they um, had faith in the power of the gospel. They believed that the gospel had the power to change the life here. And the primary cause for all of them is the drive, and the driving force to their life is the gospel. And everything else is secondary. If Paul has to die, if I have to die in this process, then so be it. That's Paul's mindset. These are useful servants, we would call them. Just useful servants. Now, here's the principle. Useful servants are disposable for the sake of the gospel. Now, that's a little shocking when we say that. Especially in this world. That's the principle. The useful servant, a useful servants are disposable for the sake of the gospel. They understand the priority that the gospel has to take. And in light of eternity, folks, all of us, just the, the individual life is, is just kind of swallowed up. We become insignificant. And our significance is only in relation to the gospel and the spread of that gospel. And our significance really comes only from the roles that we play in the, in the relationship of getting that gospel out. Now, again, that sounds a little shocking. But Christ Himself said, he has, we must lose our life in order to find it. Paul said, we must die to sell. That's what we do. Now, I think the danger here is that the American church is not there. We don't have that kind of mindset anymore. There's been a, a little bit of a shift that we'll talk about. A, a little bit of a shift in doctrine. They're more concerned about having the best nursery, having the best children's program, or having the best preacher so that we can attract, attract more people, or having the best ministry team, people who can minister to me, minister to my needs. We have a, a church at large, the, the larger church I believe in America is just self-focused, not service-oriented at all. 
The American church need to get their eyes off themselves and put back on making disciples and the expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This little bit of shift changes everything. It just changes everything. Because then, then your, your output is, is changed. It, it turns everything around and it makes it different. In World War II, a lot of the manufacturers that were producing cars, these manufacturing plants changed and started producing munitions. Really, a munitions plant. And they began to, instead of producing cars, they were producing weapons and um, uh, tanks and ammunition. And just that one little shift, it's, it's the same place, but what they were producing is completely different. And folks, I believe that that's what's happened to the church. It's a, a little bit of a shift, a little shift, and it makes all the difference in the world. You have a church that's not concerned so much about service, but it's concerned about comfort that changes things. And then it's, it's come to Jesus. He will meet your needs. And you're producing people who are needy. Or, or come to Jesus and get some self-help tips. And you're just producing independent people that don't really need Jesus at all. Come to Jesus for a better life. Come to Jesus to be entertained. He was a, a great speaker. Come and listen to some great speakers. And we're producing within our churches the wrong thing. We're not producing disciples. We're just trying to get people to be comfortable. And that's not at all the biblical model of the New Testament church. It should be come sinners, come sinners, and we'll make you holy and then send you out as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our message. It's not come in here and be comfortable and have fun and be entertained. It's come in and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Begin to uh, discipline yourself, disciple yourself or be discipled and then be sent back, possibly even to be killed. Because the gospel is primary. The gospel is the primary purpose. The spread of the gospel. Folks, we can do everything else better in heaven except spread the gospel. We have to do that here on this earth. We have to have useful servants. Useful servants are needed. So then the question becomes is how do we produce these useful servants? What is needed to produce? Within the church, what do we need to produce useful servants? And what does a servant, useful servant looks like, look like? I think you see the passage right here that, that uh, gives us a, a picture of these. And there's three things I just want to quickly point out to you. Three important ingredients. Number one, a useful servant is a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. Make every effort to come to me soon. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. And he says, for, and here's the reason, Timothy, I want you to come soon, is because Demas, having loved this present world, has de deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Having loved this present world, his heart was exposed. He, he, he did not want to be, saddle himself with Paul, who is possibly getting ready to be killed. He's going to save his own life. But he also loved this present world. He wanted to stay here and he, he left. He abandoned Paul. Goes back to Thessalonica, maybe his hometown. 
We don't know. He was a deserter. He abandoned his post. That's one name. Then you have Cratians has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So in Timothy's mind, he's thinking, Paul, where are the rest of your team? I know you had more. And so Paul is explaining where these people are. And he's already sent them out for more ministry in these local churches. They needed them. He says, only Luke, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me. For service. But Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus, and when you come, bring my cloak, and I left in Troas, and another name, uh, with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchment. And all of these people, they were part of Paul's network. It's a network of individuals pulled together, and they were all committed disciples. They were just scattered, they were all over the place. Except one man, and that's Demas. He was not committed. AWOL. Absent without leave in the military, he he would have been court-martialed. All of the rest of these were committed to the gospel except him. We have to have committed servants. There has to be that commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we need men to raise up, to rise up like Jim Elliott did in the 1950s. Just a young man, he pulled a team together and says, hey, let's go to the Aki Indians. They have not heard of the gospel. They fly in. They find a place to land. They had prepared for this moment. This was a special moment. And he was killed along with his friends. Amazing. But from that little episode, from that little event, a whole generation of missionaries were sent out from the church because they were committed. They were committed. If our churches, folks, if our churches are focused on comfort, we will never, we will never produce committed disciples that will last on the mission field. Never produce it. Let me just answer this question too. Does the individual, he just gets swallowed up in the blueprint of all that's going on and the blueprint of the spread of the gospel. If he dies, he dies. He becomes insignificant. No, not at all. He becomes the most significant of all of his life. There's nothing greater that can be said. He was useful and he gave his life for the cause of Christ, for the gospel. He's not insignificant at all. Sacrificed his life for the sake of the gospel. So we need committed disciples. Number two, a useful servant is one who is strong, has a strong faith in the sovereign hand of God in the face of opposition. Look at the next little section here in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he viciously uh, opposes us. Vigorously opposes our teaching, Paul says. There's always going to be opposition. Sometimes opposition is is, uh, a frontal assault, is is directly toward us. Like 
like Alexander here. He was a coppersmith. He was probably had a business. He had his own business and making idols. And Paul comes along and uh, presents the gospel. People begin to get saved and idol worship just becomes diminished. And of course, Alexander is a he wants the bottom line for him is, is money. And so he's got a score to settle with Paul. So he opposes Paul's teaching. And he says, Timothy, be, be warned of this. This is a direct assault. This guy's dangerous. There's another, there's another dangerous. There's another uh, opposition. And that's in verse 16. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Love Paul's attitude here. Another just assault is, is just, or an opposition is just loneliness. It's just desertion. Everybody else leaves. And that's just a, that's a, another thing that a committed disciple is going to have to deal with. But here's the key. The, the key is a strong faith. A strong faith in the sovereign hand of God. In the face of opposition. And this is exactly where First Peter comes into play, isn't it? It's exactly what First Peter told them to do. Stand. Stand in the face of opposition. And that's what Paul does here. And I love verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished. Now that's some definite words here. I stood, the Lord gave me the strength to stand, and I presented the gospel, the proclamation, that he means the, the proclamation of the gospel there, might be fully accomplished. Now, Paul might have had something in mind like Jonah. Now, Jonah, think about this. Jonah was sent, he was sent to Nineveh, city of about three million people, and, and in three days he converted that city. He goes through and preaches. But it says in the one little phrase that is key there is that when the the uh, the gospel essentially when the words of Jonah reached the ears of the king, then the place repented. Then the place re, uh, repented from their sins. And so maybe Paul has that in mind. If I can just get to the king, the emperor. If I can get to Nero, maybe the Lord will change his life, change his heart. All of this persecution will go away. And Paul has in mind the, the proclamation might be fully accomplished. This, this, is, this could be it. And no one stood with him. He says that all the Gentiles might hear, might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord chose not to save Nero if Nero was there, if he heard the gospel. But he said, I was right there in the lion's mouth. The Lord saved me from that. He's going to give me another hearing here. But Paul knows it's probably not going to go too well with him. He sees the handwriting on the wall. And so he says, verse 18, and I love this, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Maybe not physically on this earth, he goes on to say, and I will bring, and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Paul says, if the Lord doesn't spare me from this life, he's going to take me on to heaven, which is great. And so it just leads to praise to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. It leads Paul to praise. That's amazing. 
I love this attitude. But this attitude comes from a sound theology. From a theology that, that says that God is in charge. That He is the one that's working in the lives and the hearts of men. And whatever the outcome, I, Paul, Paul says, I'm going to present the gospel. That's why I'm here. I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord in His sovereign hand who allows these trials. I'm going to trust the Lord and depend upon His grace because I know His grace is sufficient. I'm going to trust the Lord and have confidence in the power of the gospel gospel to be able to change a life. So Paul's theology was so, so well served him in this situation. Folks, we have to have a church We have to have a church that's committed to the teaching of the right understanding of God. That God is in control of these things. That God is sovereignly working at these things. And the the results are left up to God. Our responsibility is just to proclaim the gospel. Let me give you one, one more element. A useful servant has a, a network of like-minded test, uh, Teammates. A, a useful servant has a network of like-minded teammates. Look at verse 19. Greet Prisca and Aquila. That's just short for Priscilla and Aquila. Well known in the early church. In the household of Onesiphorus, Erastus remained in Corinth, but Trophimus I left sick in Melantus. Make every effort to come to me before winter. Eubulus greets you, also Prudence and Linus and Claudia and all the brethren. Those are probably, they're all, uh, those last four are all Latin names and they were probably connected to the church there in Rome. And they were, their lives were on the line just by staying in Rome there. And he says, they send you greetings. That was part of Paul's network, part of Paul's team. And then he wants to greet some people, Priscilla and Aquila, as Timothy comes, he's going to say uh, greetings from Paul to Priscilla and Aquila and to Onesiphorus. And these people were significant, again, in the early church, Priscilla and Aquila. They started following Paul on his second missionary journey, and uh, they met him there in Corinth. <coughs> They were the ones that pulled uh, Apollos aside and helped and corrected some of Apollos' uh, aberrant teaching. Onesiphorus, let me point out to, uh, about Onesiphorus back in chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, that the Lord grant mercy uh, to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and, have a, uh, and, ha- and was not... Ashamed of my chains, Onesiphorus came into play. He was part of Paul's team. He started following Paul. He was actually from Asia Minor, from uh, Ephesus, and he started following Paul, became part of Paul's team. um, Trophimus, that's easy to say, Trophimus is sick, he says. I left him in Milantis. These things happen. He gets sick on the way. But what's interesting, when you look that name up, you find that he was one who was there when Paul, remember when Paul was um, 
I believe it was Corinth, and this man falls out of the window when Paul is speaking, and Paul goes down and picks him up and gets him back up and restores him back to full health. Trophimus, Trophimus was there at that little time, at that meeting. But Paul left him. Paul left him in Melantus. Now, it tells you a couple of things, that, that the... Uh, that the the healing gifts were beginning to cease at that time Paul had did not have that gift any longer so he left him had to leave him his dear friend the one who took care of him he had to leave what you see here is a missionary team just a team of people who cared for Paul they're scattered all throughout the Roman world and Peter or uh, Timothy, as he travels, he's going to say hi to these people. And and Paul says, and these people say hi to you. It was a close-knit community. And we have to have that. We have to have people that we can count on. But we also have to have those people who are praying for us. This tight-knit community that we could say, hey, this person greets you, and that person greets you, and this person sends you greetings. Well, Back in the day, I remember churches having missions committees where there was there would be a team of people within each church and they would they would come together and they would pray. And the 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 saying was always pray and give and go. And that's about all they they did was pray, give and go. It's like, I think there has to be more than that. We need those committees back. We need missions committees that will update us. Here's what's going on in the world. Here's where they need missions. But we need a climate. We need to set a climate of encouragement of our missionaries. Focus on evangelism and a focus on the ones who are evangelizing the, and elevate our missionaries. Let our children know who they are. Push evangelism. Push missions. We need missions conferences like they used to have. There was those times when people wanted to know what was going on in the world so that they can pray, so that they can be a part. There has to be a network, folks, to send, to be able to send people out. You know what? The church is that network. The church is producing disciples. And, and as they come in, we train them up and we send them out. Maybe even across, uh, across the world. And the church is the one who, who cares and brings these and trains and brings these disciples up so that they can go and minister. So that they can be part of a team like Paul's team. But they have to have, we have to have committed Disciples, committed individuals, they have to have the, the, the stick to they have the right theology to stay, to stand in the mouth of the line and proclaim the gospel. They have to have that support team around them. <clears throat> We're disposable, folks. We're disposable for the sake of the gospel. And we need to get that in our mind. This is not a come in here and get comfortable. This is a come in here and get trained as a warrior and to be sent back out. And our only significance really is concerning the gospel and our relationship to that gospel. And we need to be praying, folks. 
We, we need to be praying and sending and, and giving and supporting and encouraging. Everything that the church can do to get more people out there. Christ said, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more people into His harvest fields. Let me close with this. <clears throat> I got a, a letter from the Master Seminary this week. I'm still on their mailing list, so they send me a, a letter and they just said, hey, pray as we're starting a new semester. They said, pray for, for our men as they come in. And here's, here's a list of things to pray for. And I thought they were interesting. Pray for God to give diligence to these students as they study. So that they won't be lazy. So that they work hard. Pray for them. Isn't that a good prayer? Lord, Lord, these people there, these these kids coming into ABC, these kids going into seminary. My son, Colin, is going into seminary. We, we pray, Lord, Lord, allow them to be taught well. Allow them, give them diligence as a student. Number two, they said to pray for biblical conviction to deepen in their heart. I love that. They're going to have to have conviction based upon the Word of God, willing to die and then be sent out and willing to die for the cause of Christ. They say another thing to pray for, pray for these families as they come in. That was me one year ago, actually 20-some years ago. We went in and said, pray for these families as they adjust to living in Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. Because Los Angeles is not easy. In fact, we would consider that pretty much the mouth of the lion right there. Also, pray for clarity of mind for the faculty. Pray for the staff. Pray for the seniors as this is their last year in preparation. Pray that they, they're sent out into the world, scattered all over. Some are going to be missionaries. Some are pastors. Some are going just into the workplace to be missionaries there. Folks, how committed are we to, to the gospel? Do we understand the power of the gospel? Do we, do we hold on to our comfort or, or do we just give up our individuality and say, look, for whatever, whatever I'm worth, I just go. I'll do whatever the Lord wants me to do. It's easy, but easy to become a, a, just a country club church. We're to seek, we're not to seek our own comfort. We're to seek to be servants. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That, that's why we, we do all of this. Not, not just to be comfortable. It's not about comfort. It's about training as a warrior. Being discipled and then being sent out for the cause of the Gospel. We need to keep this in mind. You know, in some ways, I, I see my friend Dave Alderman. We're sending him out. We're just sending him out to minister in Florida. That's, that's what we're doing. He is key to the body of Christ at large. And the Lord said, hey, I need him in Florida. And so Daniel's Bible Church rallies around and say, hey, you take care of him in Florida. He's going to minister down there. He's got children to minister to. He's going to minister in those churches. Folks, every one of us, every one of us have a ministry. Every one of us is part of a network, a team spreading the gospel. And we need to keep in mind that the gospel is number one. Everything else is secondary. The gospel is why we're here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for 
Your word, thank you for the Apostle Paul, the example that he set. What a courageous man to stand and to go up against the very one who's killing the Christians just just because, just because he can. Here is Paul, bold, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to his face. Lord, may you give us the strength, may you give us the courage, May you raise up men from Daniel's Bible Church that have the opportunity to present the gospel to a world that that needs you. Lord, give give us the desire, the drive like Paul had to present the gospel to everyone that we see. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.